0: A few weeks ago, some of you guys were doing a chase around the ground. Anyone doing that? You guys only Ben. Remember you chasing Rach had this um, like end of year, end of term switch chase. No one here doing that. Kim. Kim. <laughs> one, Kim and Ben. And Lucky. Like, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. So I was up the back and I, and I hear this bang, 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 bang. I was like, that's getting verging on too noisy. But uh, it wasn't, it wasn't too noisy, Rach. I knew it was a good thing. Um, so Rach had made up some clues that um, involved them understanding what they'd learned over the term, and they had to race around, find the clue, go to the next clue, and all the way, a bit like the Amazing Race. Yes? I don't know what it was. So Amazing Race, who knows Amazing Race? You find these clues and you follow it all the over the world until you finally get to the prize. Well, John's Gospel gives seven big clues. Seven big signs is what he calls them. Seven signs that point to the prize, which is the greatest sign, which is Jesus rising again from the dead. The greatest sign. So there's these seven signs pointing to the greatest sign. And if you read John's Gospel, which I hope you have, because it's, it's worth doing, we're spending a lot of time in it, um, this first sign, John says, this is a sign. I don't want you to miss it. And then the second sign, he says, that's the second sign. And then from them on the next five, you've got to work out that they're signs. So seven signs. There's been a wedding, chapter two. And these are really big events in a small town like Cana. So they might go for two, three, even seven days. Everyone in the village is invited. That's why Jesus is there with his disciples and his mum and 1st uh, century Jewish culture, running out of wine is a disaster. In fact, from my reading into it, it would seem that that shame, how odd as, odd as it seems, that shame can hang around with you for the rest of your life. It's like, how bad was that? You must be cursed. Like, you've ran out of wine when the whole village came, and so it's a bad thing. So Jesus' mother, Mary, she can see this is happening. She can't help but sort of stick her nose in and say, hey, son, 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 that's looking bad. Can you do something about it? And um, there's a reason why, because as I thought about it, Mary knows intimately through the Immaculate Conception that Jesus is the real deal. Yeah, <laughs> She knows. I, I, I'm I a virgin. I had this child. And I know I saw the angel. So she knows that Jesus has amazing power. Jesus' response to his mum shows that he has well and truly cut the apron strings. He says, woman, why do you involve me? (laughs) There he goes. Okay, son, I can take my box. Um, Jesus has this really big picture way of seeing the world. He knows what is going on. And she is like, quick, 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 do this stuff. It's It's full on what happens. He says, my hour has not yet come. John, as he tells his story of the life of Jesus, he only mentions Mary twice, the mother of Jesus. This is the first time and Mary wants Jesus to change, do something. um, And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Do you know when the next time is that we hear of Mary turning up on the scene? She's at the foot of the cross, looking up at her son, and he says, My hour has come. So it's a, it's a full on little line there, My hour is not yet come. And the key is that Jesus always understands God's timing. And our lives to be fruitful is about understanding timing. What is God doing now? What season? Am I in, James and Ruth have been talking about that. They're trying to watch what's going on in our lives. How is God unfolding the seasons? And how can we be most fruitful? So Jesus is magnificent at picking his time. And then Mary says these very significant words, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And that's going to be something we'll keep coming back to in this message. Do whatever he tells you. There's no more wine. What are they going to do? Well, Jesus says to the servants, I've got something for you to do. My mum just told you to do what I say. I I need you to do something for me. Go and fill up the jars as 450 litres of water to fill. And uh, it matters that they are Jewish ceremonial washing jars. There's another little clue that John is dropping for us to hear and pick up on. This is a beautiful picture. Jesus picks these Jewish ceremonial washing jars, fills them with water, turns them to wine. What do you think that little, that little clue is all about? It's an amazing picture that God always wanted to bless the world through the people of Israel. Jesus is the fulfilment of the people of Israel. Israel were never just a throwaway. They are really important. And here it is. Jesus has this picture. John says... Jesus is the one who is going to offer his blood as the new wine. He's the one who's going to fulfil every hope that the Jews had. It's a nice little clue again. It's a sign. Jesus is going to do amazing things. You've got to pick up on the signs. Why is he here? And so the servants fill these huge water jars. And the text says that the master wedding planner, his name was Franck. I don't know, it's weird. It's a weird Jewish name for a wedding planner. It's Frank. And he tastes the wine and he's like, this was fantastic. <laughs> and there are six, I added this up, uh, there are 600 bottles in 450 litres. 600 more bottles of the finest wine. I've got to think about it. But it's got to be good, right? It's got to be good wine because Jesus made the grapes. He you knows the molecular structure. He's like, you want to make good wine? That is as good as it comes. So, not only did the wedding planner think that they'd left the best wine to last, it's the best wine ever created on earth left till last. Water turned into wine. It's the first time. So why did it happen? How will read it out for us? Why did this happen? To reveal Jesus' glory and to invite belief. To reveal Jesus' glory and to invite belief throughout the whole Gospel of John, there's this motif that we picked up in John chapter one, and it is "Word become flesh." Word become flesh, over and over. John one fourteen: the Word become flesh, and the Word, which we talked about before, is the English word for logos, and logos is the name of Jesus before he got a body. Do you guys are you familiar with that? It took me ages to find that out, but. So before he was clothed with a body, a human body, Jesus is alive forever. He's God, and he's known as the Logos. And so when it says word become flesh, it's God become human. that's what John's Gospel is about. It's about a marriage. God and humankind being married together through Jesus. Heaven joining with earth somehow. Grace joining with truth, love and justice meeting. This is oneness idea. So the beginning of John's Gospel, there's a wedding. When's the other wedding? At the end, Revelation, there's another wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb and His bride, the church. So there's always this idea of Word, God, become flesh, Heaven joining up in one man, Jesus, joining God with what he has created. Not that we become God, but there is a connection. We access his power. And last week we saw this with Nathaniel. Do you guys remember the end of chapter 1? Um, Jesus is talking to Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, you will see the Son of Man with angels descending and ascending upon him and he's hearkening back to Genesis 28 where Jacob wrestles with the angel and there's this portal in Genesis 28 where um, Jacob says, is this not the, the gateway to, to heaven? And, um, and that's a picture of what Israel were always meant to be, that they would be a portal between heaven and earth and then ultimately this is what Jesus does. He's the portal of of transformation. He's the marriage of heaven and earth. He's the marriage of power with powerlessness. So Jesus goes to a wedding and there is a need for water to be turned into wine and he's there, the power of heaven is manifest and the wine gets changed because Jesus is the only one who's come from heaven. He's the gate, he's the way, the truth and the life. He's the only one who can actually change our situation, and we um, saw on the video some of the terrible stuff that's happening in Sudan, and it's all over the world, isn't it? Like we need, we need the power of heaven on earth, and that's why we pray: May Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But how do we access it? How do we access the the power of heaven? Well, it's through Jesus. It's not just accessing power, it's through a relationship with Jesus by his grace, we get to see transformation happen on this earth. So I wanted to have a quick look at how transformation happened. What were the precursors to seeing these amazing signs happen in John's Gospel? So just go <clears throat> with me and we'll see if there's a common theme. Sign number one, the water turned into wine. Mary said before it happened, do whatever he tells you to do. And what did they do? They did it. They went and they filled up the, the jars. There was obedience and then transformation. Sign number two, the healing of the official's son. It's in John chapter 4, 46 to 50. And I, I won't read all of them out, but I will read, read this one. Verse 46. <clears throat> Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official... Whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word. And departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. So the second sign, the man believed. He took him at his word and he moved and his life was transformed. His son was healed. Sign number three, John chapter five. This guy has been an invalid for 38 years. And as we often talk about, Jesus comes to him and says, you know, what do you want me to do? And uh, do you want to get well? He asks, and the man says, yeah, I want to get well. So Jesus says, well, stand up and you will be well. I think that guy could have easily sat there and thought, wow. I can't be bothered. I'm over it. I've tried this, you know, I, it's 38 years. Like, I've been waiting too long. I'm just, I'm, and just have a big pity party and a whinge. But he doesn't. He says, okay, I'm going to do what this Jesus says to do. And so he stands up and his legs become strong and his life is absolutely transformed. Can't walk for 38 years, absolutely transformed. Sign number four feeding the 5,000, John 6. Jesus had mentioned to the disciples that they should uh, give the crowd something to eat. How many disciples are there? Uh, How many people are there waiting around? 5,000 men. Could be 7,000, 10,000 people. He says give them something to eat. And the practical one, Philip, says this would take more than half a year's wages to feed these people. Of course, the Master has compassion. And then Andrew speaks up and Andrew has gone and nicked off with a small boy's lunch. But as I was reading this again this week, it really struck me. What sort of boy was it that John just makes sure? He just leaves his little clue. If you want to see transformation, what sort of boy was it? A small boy. And what sort of fish did the small boy have? Small, two small fish. I'm thinking, two small. Couldn't they have been like kingfish or something? Like he just had the family stash and his big fish. Small fish probably means it's a sardine. It's got two sardines. Just stop and think about that. If that's the only thing you take away, just get a picture. There are 10,000 people and you've got two sardines. And then five barley loaves. What were they? How big? (laughs) They're small. So you've got a small boy. Two small fish and five small loaves. And Jesus... Asks them to do something. He doesn't just go, cool, we just going to, like, boom. Here's the, it's falling, manner. He doesn't. Verse 10, have the people sit down. You've already done something by going and gathering it and kudos to this young boy. Look at his faith. He's brought, he's brought the food. And then the situation is transformed. 5,000 people get fed and there are 12 basketfuls of bread left over they do do what Jesus says, their reality is absolutely transformed because where Jesus goes, there is a marriage of heaven and earth. There's this portal. There's and you've got to have eyes to see it. But anything could happen where Jesus is. Amen? Like anything honestly could happen And it's because of this marriage of the power of heaven meeting earth and the messiness and brokenness of earth, but God wants to transform our situation. Fifth sign, walking on the water, John 6, 16. This is a harder one to sort of squeeze into my little thesis of a precursor of obedience, but um, the passage says they're out crossing the Sea of Galilee and I reckon, well, that just shows they're on mission. They're already obeying. So they're out there doing ministry, doing mission. They're going across the the lake. And um, anyone remember reading this? And they said they just noticed that Jesus was out walking. Jesus is out walking on the water. And it just happened that he's walking and the storm is starting to whip up. The Sea of Galilee can have 10-foot waves, high waves on the shore. So it's going to be a very dangerous sea. But the important part for a bunch of Jews is that they feel culturally and historically that the sea is the abode of the dead and the demonic. It's a scary place. They're scared of it. They're scared of the big nasty dog in the sky, the storm, they're scared of the demons, they're scared of the underworld, they're scared of the darkness and death. And Jesus is walking on it and he's saying, hey guys, I'm not afraid of that, I'm not afraid of the, the, the storm, I'm not afraid of Caesar, I'm not afraid of anything. And he hops in the boat and comes a storm, and they turn up on the other side. You never get to see miracles unless you put yourself where? In the place where you'll need a miracle. Ken Duncan used to always talk about that. you Have ever seen Ken Duncan share? He's got so many stories of miracles. That's a great line. The first time I heard anyone say it was him. He said, if you want to see miracles that glorify God, you've got to put yourself in a position where you need a miracle. To come through. Because the thing is that God loves to do them. He does. Of course, the reality is one of the biggest miracles he's doing all over the world is allowing people to die and suffer and take the blood of their martyrdom in the soil to fertilise the church. So it's not all like rah-rah victory as though God's going to come through. Sometimes he's like John the Baptist. Well, you are going to lose your head. You're going to get beheaded. But you will be the greatest testimony pre-death and resurrection of any human being. But you are going to die. So, you know, don't ever think seeing the transforming power of God means that we always win. We we don't, but these are amazing stories of transformation. Sign number six, the blind man receives sight. One of my favourite stories in the whole Bible. John 9, Jesus comes to a man born blind. He says, what, what, what do you want me to do? He says, I want to see. I want to see. And the next minute, the blind like what are you doing, Jesus? I'm spitting in the ground, making mud, putting it on your eyes. It's okay, trust me. Really? I've been bullied all my life. What? Is that your spag on my eyes? Why do you need to do that? <laughs> no one needs to do that. But then Jesus says, the sort of kicker, he says, now go to the pool of Siloam, which means sense, and you'll be healed. But why do you need to do that extra bit? Like, like I would feel like saying, Lord, prophetically, isn't what works righteousness bad? Just let it be a gift, just purely a gift. I don't want to add anything to this to sort of spoil the miracle. But Jesus doesn't seem to care less. Like, no, I want you to partner with me. <clears throat> do whatever he tells you to do, Mary said. Mary really knows Jesus. Do whatever he tells you to do if you want to see his transforming power to change your reality. And the guy goes, He is sent, he obeys, he goes to the pool for so long, and he sees. It's an amazing miracle, isn't it? You never see it. It's something you can see. Lazarus, sign number seven. Jesus finally makes it to where his friend Lazarus has been sick. Remember they came to him and they went, Lazarus is sick, he's your mate, you need to get back. Anyone remember how long he waited? Jesus waited? Like two days or something, he waited. He gets there and Lazarus is long dead, he's four days dead. And Jesus gets there finally and he prays out loud and he says, roll the stone away. Another act of obedience. Do we have to do this? It's so embarrassing, oh I think he's already dead. says that they say there's going to be a horrible stench. It's going to be awful. Do what he says to do. So, they roll the stone out, and he says, "Lazarus, come forth." Can you imagine being there? Oh, everyone's going. This is serious. Did you see that? Is anyone filming this? This is crazy. And then there's more to do. They have to take his grave clothes off before he truly moves into transformation. These signs are for Jesus' glory and to bring about belief. So the question I think that this message leads us to is, Does Jesus still perform signs for his glory and to bring about belief? Does he still do it? I think it's just nice stories. Somebody just studying an old text. Because if he still does it, if there are signs that bring him glory and bring about belief that we could be part of, that's exciting. What do you reckon the answer is to that question? Does he still do signs? I mean, sort of trying to rally the, the sleepy troops. Um, and you might want to just say, yeah, yeah. But honestly, think about it. Do you believe he still does signs that transform reality? Lots of people are nodding. I, I can test it, tell you my subjective story, but I can certainly testify that I have seen heaven in my life, heaven intersect with reality on this earth and change that reality. And uh, it's typically been in places where we have sort of stepped out and we're trusting God. Um, I remember being in Africa years ago and we prayed for so many people and I've been on lots of trips overseas and we prayed for people and seen people here and back at home. And I remember being in Africa, in Zambia, and I, thought, I was out by myself in this village and I thought... Lord, I'm not making this up. I'm going to be cognizant right here of what is going on. This is not a sermon illustration. No, this this person can't hear. And I'm like, can you can't hear? And they they can't hear, they can't hear. Can you pray? And I feel like the Lord says to me, pray against the deaf spirit. And of course, at that moment, you don't really want to, because you've got to tell the evangelist. Like, it's a bit weird to do it. And so I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I just, command this death spirit to go to his feet. You have no place affecting this person. This was a Christian. And honestly, this, I'm pretty sure it's a woman. so long ago. I I know what they did in response. They they heard. There's no question. You know that scripture that says leaping and praising and jumping and praising God? They just started leaping and jumping and praising God. I was like, I'm just by myself here. I'm like, I think that just happened. I think that really just happened. But it's not just overseas on some little mission trip. We have seen it in our lives. We have seen a barren womb healed. We have stood, I've told you this, we've stood. And Leanne Hearn, it wasn't completely barren, but it, we couldn't have ch- another child, and, and God said to her, your womb is healed. She fell pregnant the next month. But she, we, we have seen Benny had hydrocephalus, he had fluid on the brain. Like It was not a good thing. Benny up there, he was healed. In Jesus' name, he was healed. We prayed and God went boom. God changes our reality. He does. He doesn't always exactly when we think, but he does. But when I reflected on that and we've had lots of other things happen in our lives, it actually doesn't come close. To when Jesus reaches out and seeks and saves a person and plucks them from the flames, and as Colossians says, takes them from the kingdom of darkness and puts them into the kingdom of the Son of God, the kingdom of life. And that person is going to live forever and ever and ever. They are under death and condemnation forever. But through the grace of God, Jesus saves them and puts them over into life. There's nothing that comes close to that that is the sign that we should be seeking. That we bear testimony to the greatest sign that as Christians we fully believe in that Jesus did rise from the dead. He rose from the dead. And we confidently say, as Paul said to do, he said in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So you're at uni, you're at work, you're in a place where there's a prompting to share of the hope that you have in the resurrected Jesus. And you go, I don't know if I could do that, Lord. I don't know if. I... And and Mary, Jesus' mother, in the back of your head is going, Do whatever He tells you to do, because He's got a sign that He wants to do. Oh, what would it be? He to save that person he wants to use your feeble words, you've got nothing really to do with it apart from just graciously Jesus says, come on let's do it together I did it all, but I want you to play a part step up to the plate and give a reason for the hope that you have I rose from the dead that is the sign that we give testimony to we still do it the gospel is the power under salvation for all who would believe has anyone looked that one away? That verse, it's worth it. The gospel is the power of the, salvation for, uh, power of the salvation for all who would believe. We have to keep remembering that and going, oh, okay, so when I share the gospel, Jesus lived the perfect life, died a perfect death for my sin, he rose again from the grave, death could not hold, hold him down, he burst forth from the grave three days later, ascended to heaven and sent his spirit to fill the church. That's the gospel. It's as simple as that. It doesn't have to even be what's happened in your life. It's like I'm telling you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 1 3. Jesus died and rose again for the sin of the world. I'm letting you know because the proclamation, the sharing of the gospel is the way that people get saved. There's lots we can do physically to help people. We should do that. But ultimately, the great sign that we bear testimony to is the gospel. So he still turns water into wine. The great story, water into wine. 450 litres, 600 bottles. He's still turning old, average water into wine. He's still doing it. He's still making blind eyes see. He's still reaching lost people. He's still giving hope where there's no hope. He's still transforming and healing. And he's still guiding and he's protecting And I just wonder if um, we could finish by testifying. What sign has it given you that you might believe?